oxygen, respiratory failure and oxygen therapy. The human body utilises concentration gradients to move oxygen from the air around us through our respiratory system and into our circulatory system. And so essentially what this means is that the partial pressure of oxygen in the air around us is the highest and then when we enter our lungs the partial pressure would drop to allow oxygen to move down the gradient. When we get to our alveoli that's where the pressure in the lungs would be the lowest. And then in the arteries in our blood the partial pressure of oxygen would be even lower to allow further movement of oxygen through our body. This phenomenon is called an oxygen cascade. So the concentration or the partial pressure rather of oxygen in the inspired gas, the gas we breathe in, is around 21 kilopascals. On its way through the lungs, the inhaled air is subjected to humidity from the nasopharyngeal environment. This causes a drop in oxygen pressure of the air from 21 to approximately 20 kilopascals. The next stage is the alveoli. The pressure of oxygen at this stage is dependent on two things. Firstly, the alveolar ventilation. That means essentially how well gas is being exchanged at the alveoli. Higher alveolar ventilation would correspond to more CO2 being removed from the alveoli and so higher partial pressures of oxygen at the alveoli. And secondly, oxygen consumption or carbon dioxide production, which are the product of respiration. So higher respiration would correspond to lower levels of alveolar partial pressures of oxygen because it's using up oxygen and producing carbon dioxide. So ideally we would use those two factors, the alveolar ventilation and the oxygen consumption or carbon dioxide production to calculate the partial pressures of the the partial pressures of oxygen in the alveolar. However, clinically those two factors are difficult to calculate. And so instead we divide the partial pressures of carbon dioxide in the arteries which can be obtained by an arterial blood gas sample by the by a respiratory quotient which is approximately 0.8 and the value we get for this we take it away from the partial pressure of oxygen in the inspired gas and this gives us our alveolar partial pressures of oxygen if we wanted to visualize a graph of partial pressures of of oxygen in the alveoli against alveolar ventilation we could give a constant oxygen supply of for instance 21% to a subject or to a model and record the partial pressures at the alveoli. As we would expect from the nature of the oxygen cascade, the partial pressures of oxygen at the alveoli should be lower than the concentration of oxygen or the partial pressure of oxygen that we supplied to the model. And this is to ensure that there can be clear net movement of the oxygen into the alveoli from an area of higher to lower concentration. However, when we start to increase the alveolar ventilation, we observe graphically an increase in the partial pressures of oxygen as well. This slowly reaches a plateau at some value below the inspired partial pressure of oxygen, the concentration that we supplied. And that is because the alveolar partial pressure of oxygen must always be lower than the inspired partial pressure of oxygen. The only way for it to be greater than 21% was if we supplied the model with a higher partial pressure of oxygen 
and increase the alveolar ventilation accordingly. Following the alveolar stage, oxygen passes onto the arterial stage by diffusion into the alveolar, in the alveolar sacs over a gradient of about 1.3 kilopascals. One key factor that affects arterial partial pressures of oxygen is shunting. In this context, shunting simply means an area of the lungs that is perfused but not ventilated. So that means an artery carrying deoxygenated blood from the right side of the heart passes through the lungs but no gas exchange takes place. It then empties into the pulmonary veins with the same deoxygenated blood. On the oxyhemoglobin dissociation curve, the P50 value, which is the partial pressure of oxygen at which 50% of hemoglobin is saturated, is equal to 3.5 kilopascals. So at a partial pressure of oxygen of 3.5, half of the hemoglobin will be saturated. Now at 75% saturation of hemoglobin, we get the partial pressure of oxygen in the pulmonary artery, which is 5.3 kilopascals. This represents the venous return to the heart. These numbers should be easy to remember because they're opposites of each other. So 3.5 is the opposite of 5.3. And they also are the numbers that represent the normal range of potassium in the body, 3.5 to 5.3. Moving on, we will talk about oxygen delivery in the body, which is given in units of litres per minute. Oxygen delivery relies on three key factors, oxygen saturation, haemoglobin concentration and cardiac output. If we were to calculate oxygen delivery, we would multiply all three of these factors as well as an additional value of 1.34. This number is called Huffner's constant and it represents the milliliters of oxygen in one gram per deciliter of haemoglobin. So an example calculation of oxygen delivery in a healthy individual would be, for example, 150 grams per deciliter of haemoglobin multiplied by 97% oxygen saturation multiplied by 5 litres per minute of cardiac output multiplied by Huffner's constant. This gives us 974 millilitres per minute of oxygen delivery or 1 litre per minute. And this is normal in a healthy person. Now let's talk about respiratory failure. What are the signs? Tachypnea is an early sign that a patient with respiratory failure would get. Other signs are ones that indica indicate respiratory compensation. So the use of accessory muscles, nasal flaring, and intercostal or suprasternal recession, which is a sort of depression on the chest caused by negative intrathoracic pressures. The resulting hypoxia from respiratory failure would trigger increased sympathetic activity, so we would observe tachycardia in a patient as well as hypertension and sweating. Other signs of respiratory failure include end organ hypoxia, which involves an altered mental status and bradycardia and hypotension, which are very late signs. Cyanosis due to hemoglobin desaturation can be observed in patients with respiratory failure as blue discolorations on the skin. Respiratory failure can be classified as either type 1 or type 2. Type 1 is characterized by a failure in, oxygen, in oxygenation only, so this would present as partial pressures of oxygen in the artery of less than 8 kilopascals.
so hypoxemia, whereas type 2 failure involves failure in oxygenation as well as CO2 elimination, so both hypoxemia and hypercapnia. So in addition to an arterial partial pressure of oxygen less than 8, an arterial partial pressure of carbon dioxide of greater than 6.5 kPa will be observed in patients with type 2 respiratory failure. Type 1 respiratory failure occurs because of damage to lung tissue. This lung damage prevents adequate oxygenation of the blood. However, the remaining normal lung is still sufficient to excrete the carbon dioxide being produced by tissue metabolism. This is possible because less functioning lung tissue is required for carbon dioxide excretion than is needed for oxygenation of the blood. Type 2 respiratory failure is also known as ventilatory failure. It occurs when alveolar ventilation is insufficient to excrete the carbon dioxide being produced. Inadequate ventilation is due to reduced ventilatory effort or inability to overcome increased resistance to ventilation. It affects the lung as a whole and thus carbon dioxide accumulates. Intrinsic lung diseases such as asthma and pulmonary embolisms will cause respiratory failure type 1. Type 2 respiratory failure is brought about by insufficient alveolar ventilation which causes the hypercapnia. Causes for this insufficient ventilation could be due to a problem in anywhere from the nervous system at the level of the brainstem, the nerve roots, the nerves themselves, the neuromuscular junction or the respiratory muscles and airway obstruction. Treatment of respiratory failure is always to give oxygen at the first instance. Then depending on the underlying cause, antibiotics for example can be given to treat lung infections or you could give bronchodilators to control airway obstruction. If the initial line of treatment is ineffective, you could consider respiratory support techniques, so essentially machine assisted ventilation. An invasive technique could be a, tracheo a tracheosotomy that involves incision at the trachea and insertion of a tube directly into the windpipes. Non-invasive could be just face masks or nasal prongs. To understand more about the oxygen masks, we should consider that in a normal person, the inspiratory flow rate is around 15 litres per minute. So a normal person would breathe in 15 litres of air per minute. So now then, if we consider the two types of oxygen masks, low flow and high flow, high flow is also known as venturi masks. Low flow masks such as nasal cannulae and simple face masks deliver variable oxygen concentrations that are dependent on how the patient is breathing. So the rate of delivery is for example 2 litres per minute of 100% oxygen for the low flow mask. Note how this is less than the normal inspiratory flow rate which is 15 litres per minute. So a, so a patient with 15 litres per minute inspiratory flow rate would breathe in 2 litres of 100% oxygen from the mask and 13 litres of normal air oxygen which is at 30% in 1 minute. This gives them an oxygen supply of 31%. After calculation, the problem is someone with respiratory distress is likely to have tachypnea and the much higher inspiratory flow rate which could go as high as 30 litres per minute. So now, all of a sudden, the low flow mask 
that was resulting in 30% oxygen supply now is a lot less effective because 2 litres out of 30 litres are 100% oxygen and the rest are normal atmospheric oxygen. The other option would be high flow masks which provide a constant concentration of oxygen at a rate above the peak inspiratory flow. This makes them a lot noisier than their low flow counterparts but also much more effective and non-variable. High flow masks or venturi masks are used in the treatment of long term respiratory failures such as COPD. Low flow masks can be used for patients with normal vital signs such as post-operative patients or even for asthma attacks. Following administration of oxygen it's important to monitor the patient's vitals to ensure no harm is being done to the patient because too much oxygen can also be toxic and to observe the efficacy of the treatment. One way to do this is to conduct oximetry readings which involves placing the clip-like device known as the oximeter on a patient's finger to measure their oxygen saturation. Limitations of using pulse oximetry are quite a few. Firstly, there is a critical threshold of 94%, which is not good because if the saturation were to drop below 94, due to the nature of the oxygen dissociation curve, small changes, as, small changes in arterial oxygen will cause large changes in saturation. So not only is it important to keep a keen eye on it, but if it drops below the critical threshold, you must act quickly to stabilise the patient. And secondly, we said that alveolar partial pressures of oxygen depend on oxygen levels, which is indicated by the ox oximeter, but also on ventilation, which is not represented by the oximeter. And of course, sources of error in an oximeter include things such as dark-skinned patients or ones with nail colouring that will block the infrared and result in a value above the actual, and the room lighting itself can also affect the reading. To check that the oxygen therapy is not being toxic, arterial blood, blood gas testing evaluates pH changes and changes in partial pressures of carbon dioxide in the arteries to ensure everything is within normal. And so to summarise what we've said, there is an oxygen cascade starting at 21% atmospheric oxygen and dropping slightly at the bronchial level and then further at the alveolar level and then further at the arterial level which is called the oxygen cascade to encourage flow of oxygen. We also talked about oxygen delivery which can be calculated by multiplying cardiac output in litres per minute by haemoglobin concentration in grams per deciliter by oxygen saturation by 1.34 which is halfness constant. The two types of respiratory failure are type 1 which involves hypoxemia which would be represented by a partial pressure of oxygen less than 8 and type 2 which would be hypoxemia in addition to hypercapnia which is represented by a partial pressure of carbon dioxide above 6.5 kilopascals. Oxygen therapy can be administered by two types of masks, low flow masks which are inspiratory flow, low flow masks which provide inspiratory flow less than the peak making it variable oxygen supply and high flow masks which provide flow above the peak inspiratory flow making it a constant supply option but also a noisier one.